Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Chris Honholtz joining you this evening without my buddy. Uh, Rich cannot be here tonight. The, the poor guy, uh, as you guys know, once in a while family health issues come up. And so we're going to ask that you pray for he and his wife, Suzanne. They've just got some issues going on. But he can't be here with me with this week. because, And it's not fair because we got some really awesome guests with us this week. And I'll introduce them both here in a second. But I, we wanted to do this with as a, as a four-way group and, and a cross-podcast thing. And I, he can't be here. It, it stinks. So uh, we wanna, want to welcome on, though, however, two very good friends. Even though they have some questionable culinary taste uh, two really good <laughs> friends at least one of them for sure um the other one just lives in the frozen tundra two good friends of mine Eki tepsa pornchai nathaniel jolly from the truth be, be known podcast if you are not listening to their program you really need to i mean seriously stop this go subscribe you're going to be blessed when you have two pastors who are addressing theological issues from a pastoral perspective Okay, I am not kidding. I have listened to so many of their episodes and I've been so blessed by it. You need to get on there right now and subscribe to it, Truth Be Known Podcast. Uh, but I am grateful to have these guys on board. I finally got to meet them at G3, had such a wonderful time, and I wanted them to come uh, on with us. And we had talked about doing this while we were at the, the conference. So I just want to welcome you guys on. Eki, Nathaniel, thank you for coming on the program this week. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, great to, to join with you. And and, and just for the record, um, the, the, the culinary taste involves pineapple <laughs> with pizza, which I actually don't eat that often, but uh, but, I, but I do enjoy it. And once I saw Chris had a an allergic reaction to it, I had to keep uh, going back to it. Well, more, more, more like just a taste sense reaction. It's kind of a gag in the back of the throat. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having us on, Chris. And and actually, I don't know if Eki and I have even ever had that conversation, but I am on the side of no pineapple on my uh, pizza. Yes, yes, um, my people. <laughs> but, but, but you know, th there's got to be grace somewhere. So <laughs> That's right. That's well, right. that's why he's on the show, because I'm showing grace. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm very blessed. Said one to troublemaker to another. Wait, no, hold on. <laughs> you are the troublemaker. If I follow in your footsteps, that's just me following your lead. <laughs> I, I, I said this at the conference. I am not kidding. I have not met anybody as who stirs up as much discontent as Eki. All he has to do is post one tweet. He doesn't have to get it. He doesn't have to do a thread. I do like blog post threads. I don't stir, stir up near as much discontent as you. Ekik says, I kid you not, he believes in a six-day literal creation. And all of Twitter imploded. I, I, I was pretty sure it crashed that day. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was crazy. That was crazy. So <laughs> Eki has a unique, and, and he's been trying to pass this mantle off. Ain't nobody taking it. Um, Eki has the, the unique per, uh, uh, title of being the troublemaker of Twitter because he cannot get on there for more than 30 seconds and not start something, even if unintentionally. <laughs> so, well, and I tell you what, the original troublemaker to me was Nathaniel. I mean, he, he got online. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, no one has to know this story. <laughs> oh, now we got to tell it. Now we got to tell it. I mean, that's that's how I, I know Nathaniel, because he, he came up and, and just immediately started dropping bombs about CRT and intersectionality and what was going on with the SBC. Um, and then there's the whole preaching with, with a tie on and, and all that kinds of stuff. And, and so, <laughs> yes, poor Nathaniel, you guys, if you have not heard this story, poor Nathaniel 
he you know you pl- you applied for assistance through the North American Missions Board, right? And that's part of the SBC. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. so he shares with us that one of the reasons that they turned him down is, well, he's so insensitive to wear a suit and tie in his in front of his congregation. <laughs> Yeah. I, <laughs> so he's theologically sound, but uh, he's not dressed down enough. Um, yeah, just yeah, yes. Got to get rid of those guys that wear ties in the in the pulpit. Yeah, you know? it's this is the same North American Missions Board when somebody did some did some research, found out they were giving money to churches where women were the pastors. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, take, take and the, that that seems to relate to our topic tonight, doesn't it? Just a little bit, just a little bit. So, uh, but uh, these guys are both great. Brothers, I'm I, for all the 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 grief we give each other online, and and this, the amount of grief we give each other borders on how much Andrew and I are always at each other. But oh um, man, Andrew is bad. He's bad. He's it's good that some some days it's good he's not on Twitter anymore because <laughs> yeah. if if you all could see what happens on Facebook, it's bad as on on Twitter as well. It, your notifications would melt down. Um, but for all the grief that we sometimes give each other, I. I could not be more uh, blessed and happy to have the friendship that I have with these two gentlemen. And I am so grateful that the Lord has them in these positions of pastoring their congregations. Cause I am not kidding when I say, I know that these men are faithful to the word. And so that was one of the big reasons I wanted to have you guys on here because anybody, if you're not following these guys online, you really need to, okay, go on to Twitter, especially because <laughs> Watch Eki's Twitters. I'm ki- I'm not kidding. It's fun, uh, but uh, it it uh, you will see the heart they have for the truth, and you will see how that pulls out of the woodwork the the people who genuinely it may, maybe I don't want to necessarily oh just say hate the word of God, but certainly have an animosity to it, and that was yeah. what actually prompted this discussion because. There was I was watching what you guys were uh, doing with some with some discussion with, and this is going to be that dreaded topic that nobody likes to get into because it always causes a, a meltdown. Is it had to do with the issue of complementarianism or patriarchy? Both of you and I, I think <laughs> poor Gabe Hughes, the man can't post anything without Twitter suspending him. Uh, but it was it was basically addressing the roles of of men and women within the church what that biblical doctrine looks like. And they came crawling out of the woodwork on you guys, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it's crazy whenever um, that topic comes up. And um, I I see a lot of the same people. For me, I see a lot. I don't know about you, Nathaniel, but I see a lot of the same people Mm -hmm. uh, responding and attacking. And and I think we see um, that some of these individuals seem to make their entire Twitter lives all about um, attacking patriarchy and and, uh, characterizing them uh, to characterizing who people who believe in a patriarchal system as being abusers and um, power-hungry individuals. And, and there's a lot of just bad motives being read into mm-hmm. people, which is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that's what happened to Nathaniel this uh, this latest episode. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It, it happens all the time. Anytime you bring up you know, men and women's roles from a biblical perspective, you get these kind of things. And you know, I do see a lot of the same ones, but this last time— I can't remember what I posted on Twitter, but it blew up. I've I've got well over three hundred plus. Uh, yeah, I had so many comments. I I only saw just a few of them uh, before I was like, yeah, I can't read through all that. And um, 
But it, I, I think it's a big problem, and we're seeing it more and more. Uh, you know, our, our society is buying into feminism. It's crept into the church. The Me Too movement, which started in the world, has played into it. That's crept into the church. Um, and a, a lot of ways, what we see professing believers, how they respond to these things, aren't really much different than how the world responds. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing that I found that was troubling for me when I saw all of this kind of blowing up is what has really been an ongoing issue, which is especially with the the topic of things like gender roles within the church, is equating the doctrine itself with what they claim is abuse in the church. Now I'm not I say claim in the sense that I'm not going to deny or affirm anything they've said. Obviously, I'm not, you know, we all know that when you put a a body of people together and there are sinners in there, that sins will happen even within the church. And and, and sadly, way too many times, once is way too many times, that abuse has even occurred from the pulpit. And so when I say claim, it's not to, you know, to be some sort of derogatory, you know, statement to them, but rather to recognize these are claims that they've made and that's all I can give to it. I'm not going to assume guilt or innocence on any of it. But abuse does happen, and yeah. they'll say, well, because abuse happened, and this particular church teaches this doctrine, in this case, we'll say complementarian or patriarchy, whichever you want to use, um, therefore, that caused, not like there may be a connection we should examine what they really mean by what they're saying. But no, this doctrine caused it because it, this doctrine was taught in the church. Therefore, it's a bad doctrine because it caused this abuse. And then come in the rest of the arguments. Like uh, I, I'm looking at the original, I, I made I made light of Gabe Hughes, but his, his post was to say, patriarchy is of God, abusive men are not of God. Um, and one of the first responses is, no, the pa- uh, patriarchy is not of God. God did not create it. Boom, 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 boom. And just starts attacking it and saying, you know, that it, it, uh, it you know, doesn't treat women with, with the same dignity and respect, etc. And so you, you have this following of people that will immediately attack the doctrine because they don't like either, one, the idea of gender rules and therefore, no, this is not of God. Or two, which is the more troubling one, abuse happened in that church. Therefore, that doctrine is bad. And so, yeah. I mean, are you guys seeing that the same in the same way? Are you seeing those same patterns? Yeah, for for me, absolutely. I mean, that's and that's the maxim: uh, correlation is not causation. We have to remember that. That's a logical fallacy. That just because there's a condition that exists there, that th- therefore that condition must have been the cause of all this. And I think what we're really seeing is just people that hate God's word, mm-hmm. and they, they will use whatever uh, tragedy that may exist in order to push that kind of narrative. And and one example would be <clears throat> the recent set of podcasts about Mars Hill. I haven't listened to this, but I've been hearing a lot of people talking about this. That that's the church where Mark Driscoll used to be at, and obviously he, he um, had to step down after um, several abuses and just um, you know just just kind of a, a power hungry situation. But people. Will point to that. A lot of people point to that and say, "See, here we have um, a guy who's a complementarian, and look at everything that happened." And and then they'll they'll categorize people like myself or Nathaniel 
with a person like Mark Driscoll, where as far as I know, no one in our circle has ever endorsed uh, someone like uh, like a Mark Driscoll. Right. And so it's it's all guilt uh, by association, and it's um it's just the wrong kind of root cause analysis. And it also, I think, fails to recognize that we are all sinners. So I don't care what system you put into place over what kind of domain or, or what kind of purpose. Um, any system that you put into place will ultimately fail because the people who are involved are sinners. And so that that's an aspect of, of just the sinfulness of man that a lot of these folks don't want to um, acknowledge. Rather, they'll say that, no, it's because of this system that, that creates the, these kinds of issues. And that's patently false. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, it's very interesting. There are, are a couple groups of people, you know, we're talking about. I think there certainly are those who have gotten caught up in the sort of belief who, you know, to be honest, they're probably just wholly ignorant of Scripture. They, they don't know what the teaching is. They have no idea what the Word of God says about men and women uh, and their and their roles. And so, I mean, that's about as much grace as I can extend. And I think we have to know there are certainly some of those people there. But beyond that, uh, I think the majority are, you know, they're they're bitter, they're angry, and and they hate God's word, as Eki said. And I don't think we need to soft pedal that. Um, I, I think it just is what what it is when we see those kind of things. And the arguments really oftentimes come down to the equivalent of, you know, what I am just absolutely not going to the gym anymore. Um, I let me just tell you, Chris Eki, you should you should never go to the gym. It is such a horrible place to go because there are all these fat people there. <laughs> I, 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 that's the same kind of logic used um, yeah. as though um, we don't realize that you can twist. In fact, man does uh, mankind every doctrine that's in Scripture. You know, you there's a ditch on both sides of everything. You can take things to the extreme on one side or the other. Um, and it's not that they don't know that, right? I don't think that most of these yeah. people are stupid. I, I think that they don't like what's in God's Word, um, and they're just simply fighting against it. And it's far easier in our culture to use experiential, um, you know, qualify things experientially because, well, I, I don't know— what that person did or didn't experience. Um, now we don't need to know that. We know what the Word of God says, but um, yeah. I, they know that, right? It's it's no it's no secret, and so they're looking for other ways that they can uh, fight against God's Word. In this case, um, proper roles that men and women have, which are, by the way, for our good and for God's glory. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, we had that episode on feminism, and that's. What led to uh, one of our um, one of our cup designs that uh, says, uh, you know, let's redeem being barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen yeah. because there's actually, actually yeah. What actually did you nothing. name? Yeah, yeah. What did you name that podcast? Um, Troublemaker. <laughs> no, no, you're the one that you named it feminism, uh, the devil's handmaiden, or something like that. No, just for the record, Nathaniel does all the naming, so yeah, you see clear evidence of him trying to pass off uh, a blame onto me. But you know what? Here, here's the thing. So people. People listening to us uh, might say, well, you know, you're being insensitive to, towards those who have been victimized. And so let, let me just say this. Um, for us as as pastors, myself, Nathaniel, everyone else who's a leader within their church, Chris, I'm sure you have some sort of um, duties as well. But within the church, um, it is the absolute responsibility of the male leadership to ensure the safety of all women and children in the church. And, and woe on them if they do not do that. Woe on them if they try to cover up any kind of trespass, anything that happens. Um, to, to, in my view, 
you know, it's like we, we can't control everything that happens, um, but you can control your response to it. And if someone, if anyone covers that up or downplays it, um, in my eyes, they should be disqualified from ministry immediately. So let me just say that, that that is a very serious matter. We should all take that very seriously. Now, on the topic of those who have been victimized, and and there's no doubt that that, is ha- that has happened. We've uh, we've seen and heard many uh, accounts of that. Um, but I would say this also. I, I know of many people who have suffered abuse at some point in their lives growing up, but they came to know the truth or they came to appreciate that God's word is still true. And, and they still hold to the complementarian uh, view and to, to the biblical patriarchy, wh- whatever you want to call it. There is certainly male headship. I would describe that as patriarchy. So you can call it either way. But but I, I know of a lot of people that have been through similar kinds of abuses, but they very much are, are on the side of complementarianism, complementarianism and, and, and patriarchy because that's what they see the Bible saying. So for those who think we're not being sensitive to, to those who have been victimized, um, I would say, first of all, if they have been victimized, then then shame on, on those leaders if they covered it up or did not respond properly. And I pray that God would bring those individuals healing. But it still does not change what the truth is. And and if you're at a church where that such abuses are happening, then you're at a church where the leadership it's not is not taking its responsibilities nearly as seriously as as it should. So don't throw everyone in uh, w- with the the, the bad uh, few. And and as we've seen, some of them are just taking the bad few to really color everyone who supports uh, complementarianism or or biblical patriarchy. Uh, agree. Yeah, I'll just e- oh, echo that. Um, Absolutely agree. You know, and I think anyone that's listened to any of our podcasts uh, would hear these things come out long term. There's no place for abuse in the church whatsoever. I mean, there's no place for abuse anywhere, Um, but we know what happens. And, you know, I know we do things to safeguard folks in our church, and I'm sure you do, too. And I'm sure uh, Chris's church does as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and so absolutely we're not excusing those things. But here's the reality. Um, when when folks come to us and and it, you know you see this in counseling all the time, Eki, uh, the you deal with the issues of the person that's right in front of you, right? right? Because it's the only person you have to deal with. And so when someone's attacking these doctrines, um, you know you don't really just get to say, well, because of you know whoever whoever abused you did X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, you, you now don't have to deal with your, your own issues. I mean, victim being a victim of abuse, which there are real victims of abuse, yes. but it, it doesn't grant you freedom from Christ likeness. Mm-hmm. You know, right. there's still repentance. There's still holiness. There's still, um, um, you know, in all cases, uh, we all ought to be seeking to exhibit Christ likeness in our life, realizing that as long as we live in a fallen world, there are going to be, horrible, terrible things that happen to many of us. Um, And we have a book, right? We have a book that teaches us how to respond to those things. Uh, We we have a book that gives us the rule for life and for our faith and for our practice. And so we've got to, um, you know, distinguish our emotions and what we feel and even what situations appear to be, um, from what the Word of God says, that is what has to rule our lives. And, you know, <clears throat> when we talk about abuse, one of the big things that I often see in these attacks, it, that's clear, and, and you guys, you know, I'm sure you'll agree, is angerness, uh, anger and bitterness, yeah. Yeah. right? Which right. no Christian can—you you can't live the Christian life um, 
walking around being a person that's imbibed in anger and bitterness all the time. Right. A- absolutely. And I think that's one of the big issues is that w- when we see this type of animosity toward a biblical doctrine, I mean, it, it, you, you guys made it very clear at the beginning, and I absolutely agree. These are individuals, in a lot of cases, it's a foil for attacking that doctrine. That's there, that there's motivation behind the outrage. The motivation is, I don't like this doctrine. And so they're, they're going to come after that. But at the same time, that, that issue of bitterness and that bitterness by which you be, that becomes your identity. You know, you, this has happened. Some terrible thing happened to you or to someone you know. It happened in a church where these things are, are, uh, are taught. So therefore, I have to be able to argue that that doctrine is what I'm going to lash out at. That's what I'm going to, you know, I, because if I don't wrap myself in that identity of bitterness, that, that this is what's hurt me, then what is your identity? And I think that's one of the problems is there's not a willingness to surrender that, a willingness to say, I, I, I'm going to give up this and I'm going to embrace Christ. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to receive his healing and I'm going to do the unthinkable. I'm going to forgive those who have harmed and I think that's one of the, the most terrifying things. Michelle Leslie spoke actually to something about that just the other day on Twitter. She she wrote on Twitter, the evangelical trauma machine has spiritually re-victimized victims to the extent that many victims now see true biblical help as further abuse. And she says, I was looking at, just looking at an uh, evangelical influencer's mm-hmm. Facebook page. It's heartbreakingly clear she's been abused in a, or wounded in some way. But instead of focusing on the hope and healing that are ours in Christ, nearly, nearly every post is bleeding with despair and ruminates on trauma. She's been trained to believe that wallowing in her woundedness is her only option, oh, or horrifyingly, the godly option. And we've seen that. We've seen that with some of the interactions you guys have dealt with. Some that I found myself in the middle of just responding. Um, she says uh, she did not learn that from doctrinally sound Christians. Indeed, I surmise she'll see anyone attempting to help her biblically as an abuser. And she she goes on to say, church pastors, Mm -hmm. trust me, do not shuffle victims off to popular evangelical trauma gurus and programs. And that's true. We're seeing that. We're seeing people who Mm -hmm. identified as experts on abuse, and they're being platformed, even at things like the SBC conferences, and these are the people you need to listen to. It's like, no, 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 no. If you've got somebody who is, they've wrapped their identity in trauma, in abuse, and they're not talking about, the only thing they talk about is how to identify abusers, how to stop abuse, how to, and, and never about the healing through Christ, that, that should be a major red flag, you know? And so she goes on to talk about how as pastors, you need to go on and dis, you know, disciple them and, and shepherd them and care for their souls instead of handing them off to this evangelical machine. I absolutely, I'll put the, 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 this thread in our, our show notes, by the way, Mm -hmm. but it was, I think an excellent point that she was making. I actually talked to her recently at, uh, it was the, uh, cruciform conference. And that was, we, that same thing that your guys saying, she sees it as well. It's just this, this is the identity. It's not our, an identity 
grounded in Christ and, and, and being a new creation, but rather the identity of abuse and trauma or being an expert of it. And then they move forward to, I'm now going to go after any biblical answer other than this is how all churches are evil with, with abuse and this is what you need to do to identify abuse. And if you teach this or if you do that, you enable abuse. And I think that's what I saw in so many of the interactions just on this particular thread was this idea that if if you endorse patriarchy as a biblical doctrine, you're an enabler, you're an abuser. And that's what worries me is that there are so many people following that and believing that because there's no discussion of what is this doctrine? What is patriarchy? What is complementarianism? Yeah. And okay, Pastor Smith, in his church, either he abused or someone he covered up for abused. This is a church that believes in complementarianism, as they say on their statement. Have we checked what did they really teach versus what does the biblical doctrine say? Mm -hmm. And let's say they were teaching it rightly. Are they believing it? Are they practicing it? If not... That's not the, the, the doctrine causing that. That's the person in sin rebelling against God's word. But I never see that happening. It is an it is a all-out assault on the doctrine. And I think that's something as Christians we need to be concerned about because like we've seen with critical race theory, like we've seen with intersectionality, like we're seeing today with, I guarantee you, the Gospel Coalition is already warming up its next article about how, uh, you know, the, the Rittenhouse verdict is just going to show how, well, a white person can get away with it and, and not anybody else. Yeah. Uh, but that's what's, that's what is, is what we're watching happen. And I think a lot of Christians are pulled into the wake of that. They're afraid to defend or confused about how to defend biblical doctrine when they're confronted with a conversation like this. So as pastors, what would you guys say to you know, your congregations or to Christians asking, okay, you say this is a biblical doctrine, but they're saying this, how do I defend it? Or how do I answer that? Well, I think it all comes back to the word, right? So, I mean, in the book of Ephesians, and I know Nathaniel's preaching through that now, and I, I had preached through that um, a year ago, um, but Ephesians warns us that there are schemes in the world, schemes of Satan. That's That leads into the, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six. But even Ephesians chapter four, when it talks about how um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers have been given to the church to equip the saints for the work of service. And then verse, I want to say verse 14 says, as a result, uh, you know, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine and, and by deceitful scheming. And so there are schemes that are in the world that are meant to do exactly that, Chris, which is to undermine our confidence in the word. Now, I, I think when you hear and, and watch these folks that, one, are characterized by bitterness, which is one red flag because that's not um, a fruit of the Spirit, um, but when you see them attacking this doctrine, ask yourself which side is actually being biblical because the attacks that are coming, um, very rarely do they reference Scripture. And if they do, they're taking something out of its context or trying to explain away something mm -hmm. that, that it clearly says. But the vast majority of time, they're they're not using scripture, and then you see the fruit in their character of bitterness. Yeah. And then I think also it's a very very serious issue to read motives into people that you don't know. 
um, unless mm-hmm. you have real reasons to, to believe those motives. Sometimes people make it clear just by their words or their actions. But in this case, simple simple disagreement does not give you license to read all kinds of uh, vicious mm-hmm. motives into them. And unfortunately, we see that with not only the feminist movement, but we see that with a lot of the uh, CRT, that the woke uh, justice crowd, um, yeah. basically the, the people that um, peddle all these narratives that are meant to attack the truth of Scripture, that the fruit of their character does not match the fruit of one who is in Christ, and then it does not pass the smell test as it comes to what is it that Scripture actually says. Yeah, and, it, you know, I mean, how do we encourage people to stand up for these things? I mean, Eki's right. You, you've got to know You've got to know the Bible. If you don't know the Bible, then you, you have nothing to stand on, because that's the only source of absolute truth that we have. Otherwise, we're just throwing out our own thoughts and opinions, and there's a place for that. But, um, you know, if you're going to stand up against attacks on biblical doctrines, then you need to know your Bible. I mean, we've, we've got to love the Word more than we love the world, and we've got to fear God more than we fear man. Yeah. And if you don't have those two things, then there is no hope. Um, of standing against doctrine. We've got to fear God more than we fear man, and we've got to love the Word more than we love the world. Those two things have to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, to, um, and, and to the point of Michelle Leslie's post, which I agree with you, that was an excellent uh, post thread, so I would encourage everyone listening to go and look at that. Um, to her point, we don't want to hand off victims or people who are struggling with these things off to the world, uh, because these trauma therapists, these um, specialists that are often peddled in front of us. These are people that are indoctrinated in the views of psychology. And if you ever study yep. psychology, they're not even they're not even in agreement with their own worldviews. There's multiple different views. What they all share in common, though, is that they don't recognize God. Uh, they don't recognize yeah. the Bible as, as being the truth, and they don't recognize the problem of, of sin. And so for us as Christians, when we are confronted with the situation and we have to counsel someone that's been through these difficult times, or we are confronted with someone who's just attacking uh, Christian doctrine, uh, the patriarchy, complementarianism, or whatnot, you know, those are the moments where we just have to remember that, you know what, we have the Word of God, it came from God Himself, He is the arbiter of truth, He is the one that revealed truth to us, He has given us truth, it has never changed, He has never changed, and we just have to stand firm on it and and trust in it, no matter what the world says, and that's going to be the part where, you know, it's going to require some suffering. Mm-hmm. And by the way, when we talk about suffering and, and being victimized, there was no one who bore greater suffering than our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one who bore greater injustice uh, at the hands of man than Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and yet was sentenced by men to go to the mm-hmm. cross. Now, of course, that's according to the predetermined plan of God, but it was men who completely rejected him and sent him to the cross uh, to, to bear that kind of shame. And yet, <clears throat> what did Jesus Christ do? Well, he gave us victory over death, and and that is our ultimate uh, victory. So the Christian life is not yeah. one of victimhood. Mm-hmm. It's one of being the victor, of being of looking forward to that time where Jesus Christ is going to return and where we are going to conquer our greatest enemy, which is death. Okay, our greatest enemy is not the, it's not the way that we're being oppressed or afflicted or, or mistreated by men here today. Our greatest enemy, according to all of Scripture, that was conquered by God, by, by Jesus Christ, is death itself. And that's, that is always reason for us to, to give praise to God and, and thanksgiving. Amen. You know, and it's funny because you mentioned, you know, that is our greatest need. And I think that is the thing that we see so often that is lacking in those professing Christian circles that will say, 
oh, okay, you say preach Jesus and just preach the gospel, but what about this? And that's, it's, it's a tacit admission, if not a, a, a full-throated mm. admission, that it's not the, the salvation through Jesus Christ and the healing that comes from being slaves to sin and now slaves to righteousness, but rather it's what's in this world that I need to be freed from, that I need to be made right with. And certainly we are people that believe in and actually helping those who are genuinely been hurt. So those who go through abuse, those who have genuinely been oppressed, those who have genuinely been victimized. We want to see that you know, want to see justice right. done in this world. We do not in any way mm. negate mm-hmm. that. That's why, and I've said on this program multiple times, if you're if you have this happen in your church, and sadly, I I think there are churches sometimes for I think what were genuinely, you know, bad reasons but good intentions. Okay, we're forgiveness people. We'll we'll deal with this in house, and then sometimes bad bad actions for bad reasons. Uh, we better not let anybody know. But you know there there have been times when that happens, and I have said no. You need to get the proper authorities involved if somebody who has hurt someone in your church. That's just non-negotiable. But with that no. said, you know we are we recognize there are practical things that we must do: counseling people who are in who have gone through victimization and 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 the things like that, dealing with the legitimate criminal issues that and that, but. What is the thing that we most need, and that is our healing in Christ, because we need to be made right with Him. And there, if I have been hurt by someone, but and I refuse, for example, to show any forgiveness, I, I refuse. I want to hold on to that anger. I want to hold on to that uh, that animosity, and I want to that to ident- you know, that identity of I want this person held accountable. That's an issue for me as a Christian because I'm not trusting in God's sovereignty and his justice because even if somebody were to escape justice in this life, they will not escape it in front of God. And I don't want to trust in that. I don't want to give over to that. Then that's a problem that now, I, even though I've been hurt, if I'm not trusting the Lord and there's clear biblical reasons why I should, that's a greater problem than the fact that I was traumatized or victimized or abused. It's not to say that those aren't bad, but now there's a new problem that's come out of that. And that's how I've formed my identity. Mm -hmm. And yet what we see, and we've seen it with this particular topic, we've seen it with intersectionality, we've seen it with critical race theory and so so many others. You said it just a minute ago. It's this pop psychology that we bring in and say, well, okay, gender roles in the church. Well, if women can't be at the pulpit, for example, you're oppressing women. Well, where do you get that thinking from? That is not something you can pull out of Scripture. You can't read Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and come away with the idea that what God intended was for women to be pastors and and men to, to, to be subservient in this way and women to be superior in that way. You come away with God has a design that he is built into creation, that he that reflects his relationship with his church, and you see it replayed over and over and over. So the only way you can bring this in is you've started that with that as your presupposition. That men and women, the only way they can be equal is my predetermined analysis 
of what equality is. Not what the Bible has described as being of equal worth, but what I as a person in the world have defined that as. And typically, I'm drawing that from outside and using pop psychology or critical theory or intersectionality or feminist theory. Um, and, and that I'm now bringing that in. And so now I, ha- I get to redefine what scripture looks like. I get to redefine when when Paul says, for example, I do not permit a woman to teach. Well, that that was only meant for this or that right. that was that was Paul Paul's not Jesus to quote a the a famous an infamous Twitter person. I don't want to bring her name up. She gets too much spotlight anyway. Um, but um to, to to use that language and then now I've not only made my worldly ideology superior to scripture, I've actually denigrated, undermined, and attacked the inerrancy, the uh, infallibility, the Mm -hmm. sufficiency, and and the inspiration of scripture, because I've said not only is my ideology, which was not drawn from scripture to begin with, superior, I've now attacked scripture because I say scripture doesn't actually say what it clearly states. And I think that's one of the things that we need to, uh, you know, remember is that not only, as you say, the primary thing, and, and we just said this last episode, the primary thing Christians must do is be students of the word. You, you, if you are so familiar with scripture that anything that's brought to you that's of, of the world, you're going to recognize it immediately. But yeah. then recognizing they are intentionally coming after God's word with something that's not it's it's like they're taking a butter knife and c- coming after the word of God, which is a mm-hmm. broadsword. And you, re- if we could just, you know, get people to remember, you see someone say, "Well, what about this abuse? What are they saying? They're not drawing this argument from Scripture, and that's our yeah. most powerful tool in addressing these issues, right?" Yeah, and and you know, I I think when. An- I see people that, for instance, will suggest that, well, Paul is not Jesus or, you know, um, another person said that we haven't uh, dealt with the tension between what Jesus taught and what Paul taught or that they weren't all in agreement. Um, In some ways, I appreciate hearing that because they're basically just admitting that they don't believe all the word of God. And and I would much rather for people Mm -hmm. just to admit that. Um, then the other folks who actually try to say, oh, no, it's in Scripture, but then they twist Scripture to say what it doesn't really say. And, of course, we, we know that uh, Peter speaks about um, those who did that of Paul's writings. In Second Peter chapter 3 says those who twist and distort um, his words to their own destruction. And so I do appreciate those who will just come out and say that, you know what, I don't believe all of Scripture. Um, that's, that is honest, mm-hmm. um, because that to, to, to me tells me if you don't believe all of it, then you just don't believe it. Amen. And, and that, that makes it very simple. But when people actually try to um, eisegete, and that's to read into mm-hmm. these Scriptures, their own um, presuppositions, their own mindset, um, then that becomes a bigger issue. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, people who are less mature in the Word are more easily fooled by that. Um, but again, as you mentioned, we have the Word of God. This is this is God's truth. Uh, and you know what we often say in a secular sense, even in the secular world, anyone in the secular world will be able to relate to the saying, you know, get a grip of yourself or you need a reality check, right? Um, if a person is disconnected mm-hmm. from reality, we know that they just can't function correctly. You need to get back in touch with 
reality to function correctly. Well, for us as Christians, there is no reality that is more real than the truth that comes to us in Scripture. And man, in their unrighteousness, seek to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's Romans 1.18. And they do it with, like we said, pop psychology, all these psychological worldviews. They do not acknowledge God, sin, or the Bible. You talk about CRT, which came from critical theory, which came from a lot of philosophers who were Marxist in their nature. Marx, Karl Marx, was was an atheist, and his goal was to do away with religion. So you're dealing with ideologies or philosophies or, or methods that were devised by people that are trying to basically play the role of God, that we can do all these things without ever having to bow down to God, to repent before God, to follow Christ, to recognize our sin, to recognize we need forgiveness. In fact, we have all these humanistic methods to be able to accomplish what we need to in this life, but we know that it just leads to nothing but destruction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if a lot of these people were actually honest, even though they will pit Paul against Jesus, they'd just say they're not Christian. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, and I think, it, let me just, I, I've got Twitter pulled up here. I, I'm not going to read the name, but just listen to this. Patriarchy theology is misogynistic. Mm. Uh, and they go on to talk about it and then they say it's legalism focused on repressing women. Well, here's the implication. The implication is you, you have just accused the God of the universe of sin. Yeah. These people have no fear of God. Yeah. And, and, and it comes down to that. I, I mean, how dare you? Um, be so flippant with your statements as to accuse a holy, good God who sent his son to die on a cross for us who were undeserved of that, um, to, to accuse him of sin, even if it's implied and, and not on the surface intentional. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, le- you, you brought up the verse earlier, or the passage earlier, Eki, about Jesus being an example. Um, I mean, you go to Luke uh, 23, uh, where, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Yeah. Right? I mean, as a Christian, your heart ought to be to look like Christ. Yeah. Right? And and here we are. I, I mean, Jesus is the, the penultimate—I mean, he's the ultimate example, right? Um, look at—he he was the most perfect, the most loving, the most kind, the most gentle— um, it, Every quality characteristic that a man could have, he had in perfection, and yet uh, he was crucified, he was beaten, he was spat on. Um, and his response, which ought to be our our aim, ought to be his response, was that of suffering well. Um, Father, forgive them, for they not—I mean, just imagine if—yes, abuse is horrible, but just imagine if the heart of the one abused was, Father, forgive them, for they— they really don't know what they're going to do, uh, what they're doing, right? Um, it, it, you go to Matthew 18, uh, there, I think it was Peter, right, asking, uh, saying, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? And he says right. 70 times 7, right, by implication, always. Yeah, per you day. Know, that's our, yeah, right, per day. Um, it, you know, and then beyond that, you know, the anger and bitterness, well, here's a passage for you. Um, Romans twelve nineteen. never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And so, yes, um, we do everything we can to help shield and guard abuse, but look, we live in a fallen world, and in all reality, there is nothing that any of us will experience that's worse than what we actually deserve. Mm-hmm. 
Amen. 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 And, and, and we'll never experience what Jesus Christ experienced on the cross. I mean, that's the beauty of the gospel, that he experienced what we never have to experience so that we may receive what we never deserved. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And, and you know, there's, there's another side of this, and this is the one that will make everybody's head spin. But I believe, I remember listening to Todd Friel years ago on Twitter, or not on Twitter, on, on his, uh, his program, uh, Wretched Radio. And he said something that in, re, in our day and age is going to be entirely provocative, but it shouldn't be. And he said, there's no sin that you've, and I'm paraphrasing, you no sin that you've endured that is greater than the sin that, uh, that you've committed against Christ. That is, mm. that, that is mind-blowing when you stop to think about it because you did not have to die to forgive the sin of the person who hurt you. Christ yeah. died on the cross to forgive the sins that you deserve hell for. And so many of these uh, these arguments which attack the sufficiency of Scripture, the inerrancy, its infallibility, the, these doctrines that are maligned and mischaracterized, and, and so often they are this, the, you know, that the one where, uh, Nathaniel, you read, patriarchy is misogynistic. It's taking that little definition that they've carved out where maybe somebody has taught a really bad, wicked version of what the scriptures teach. They've taken that and mischaracterized it, and they've used it for abusive purposes, and we know that happens. And so they take that, and they take that little chunk, and that's all they want to talk about. That's all they want to believe of that doctrine. They fail to see that all these individuals who do just that fail to see that for all their professed concern for the afflicted, the oppressed, the abused, and, and, and I, I will give credence to some of the, that, that that profession is genuine. I think in some cases it's blown out of proportion for spotlight purposes, but that's another time, it's another discussion. But for all their profession of their love for those who are afflicted and abused and how they want those individuals restored and made right, what is it that every single abused and oppressed person still has to contend with. That is the fact that they themselves have committed even greater sins against a holy God because their status as an oppressed or afflicted or an abused or an enslaved person does not change anything about the sin that they have personally committed before a holy God. And nothing about that afflicted mm -hmm status will change that judgment that they will face when they stand before God once they've passed out of this life. And I think that's the thing that is really bothersome to me when I see individuals flippantly with no thoughtfulness, and Nathaniel, you absolutely called it, without thinking at all about the blasphemy that they bring against a holy God by saying his word is wrong when they so flippantly attack scripture and attack doctrine so that their particular narrative or agenda is foisted into the spotlight, that worries me greatly because you are trying to paint a picture. And we know this happens. I mean, 
you, you, if you look at and it was uh, Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker who have brought this out on their program when they're talking about things like critical race theory and Black Lives Matter, they point out that there are individuals who treat a certain seg you know uh, ethnic segment of our society as if they're incapable of sin. You know, in, in other words, all these issues of justice, social justice, have to be righted for them, but there's no calling of repentance, no calling of faith in Christ to them. And so what what are we saying when we lift up as the highest and most important issue in an afflicted or oppressed person's or abused person's life that this is the most important thing? We've got to deal with this issue. And there's reasons to say, yes, those issues need to be dealt with. But we neglect the gospel in the need of that person's life. Talk about straining out gnats to swallow camels. You are act, you are focused, hyper laser focused on this one issue to the neglect of that person's most desperate spiritual need. And then you take that and attack God's word. I can't think of some, anything really more arrogant than to neglect this and then turn around and attack the very word that brings that healing. Amen. Well said. And I think what we're seeing with a lot of these folks, and to your point, Chris, is that they are ignoring the sin that's resident in all of us. I mean, we are all equal in the sense that we are all depraved. We are all sinners. We're all in need of the salvation uh, brought to us by God and Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins and his righteousness, all that the gospel teaches us. But what we see with a lot of these man-made ideologies um, is that uh, is that they're elevating one group of people over another. Uh, we see that with critical race theory. We, we see that with feminism. We, we see that with this overall idea that those who are oppressed are somehow more godly than those who are oppressors. And certainly those who are oppressors are, are guilty uh, of sin and their oppression and not the ones who are oppressed. Uh, but there there's a false thought here. There's, there's a false belief here that, for instance, those who are, um, you know, those who are rich or those who are in position of power, that they're inherently more evil. And I would say that's patently false. Um, what we find is that those riches and those positions of power help to reveal the evil that's been in there all the time. So if you flip the script and you took those who were oppressed and put them into the position of oppressors and took those who are oppressors, put them into the position of the oppressed, you're going to see much of the same sins over and over again because, um, you know, it's just like that saying that people even understand from a secular standpoint, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and that's just the reality because there is sin in mankind. And so everyone has to repent. Everyone needs to come to Christ. And the good news is this, and we've heard uh, people like Vodi Bakum um, just, uh, you know, ex exposit this uh, beautifully from Ephesians 2, that, um, you know, Jesus Christ, he, he not only brought us reconciliation between us and God, but he broke down the barrier uh, between Jews and Gentiles, which was the most significant barrier ever in the history of mankind. And if that barrier has been broken down, then all other barriers um, don't exist if you're in Christ. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point. And, you know, for guys who have, you know, genuinely experienced abuse, I mean, here's the reality. Um, God has given everything that person experiencing that kind of situation needs to be whole, filled with joy, and to live a full life in Scripture. Everything you need is there. 
um, it, you don't have to seek revenge, and, and in fact, we shouldn't. Um, it, you, absolutely, forgiveness is part of that. And I think a lot of these things really stand come from a poor understanding of who man is and who God is. We tend to like to think very highly of man um, and and lowly of God, and it's and it's quite the opposite, right? If you have a low view of man, uh, I think you understand these things far better. Another big thing is so much of this, once you remove it out of the American context, just totally falls on its face. Um, th there are entire other, in fact, probably the majority of the rest of the world, um, you know, people are abused regularly, and yet um, you find uh, men and women in other countries who have been able to live seemingly without all of the supposed trauma that we get here in the U.S., why can those Christians do that? And and American Christians need to become famous on Twitter by flaunting their abuse. Um, well, I, I think because, you know, it's the feminism in the American context has made uh, it to where you can be famous by, you know, basically flaunting your abuse. And uh, that's unfortunate because I think I look at all I often look at those people and I think, the very thing that you're looking for, the very healing that you're wanting that, you know, you think is going to come from bashing God's word publicly or from the next book you can write about your abuse or from, you know, becoming a headhunter, you know, an abuse hunter. We've got a bunch of those these mm -hmm. days. The very healing you're looking for is found right in the pages of Scripture. You don't have to talk publicly about it and go to the authorities, but you don't have to flaunt it. You don't have to uh, become, you know, an, an, an abuse headhunter. You don't have to do any of that. What you have to do is go to the Word of God and submit to it fully and wholly, and you'll find your peace and your joy and your healing because that's what God's given us for those things. Amen. And when you go outside of that and you go to the world, um, well, you're just going to perpetuate anger and bitterness, um, and it's not going to help anything. In fact, it takes. Anger and bitterness always takes a, a prisoner, and the prisoner is always the person who is holding on to that anger and bitterness. Amen. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think you, you you made a very good point about is this that the kind of the it's like that heresy hunter. Only in this case, it's you know abuse or trauma or oppression. We have this habit within evangelicalism. Somebody comes forward and says, "I've endured such and such." And therefore, because of that, I've identified my the people who've harmed me. I've shown that this happened in the church, and therefore, I, I won't. You know, we're going to make this individual a voice. We're going to give them a platform, and we're going to herald their courage for coming out. And there can be points where recognizing that someone who had the courage to step up and say this was wrong and the house of cards for example we we talked you were mentioning mark driscoll earlier eventually what he did came out you know be sure your sin will find you out and it eventually came out and so when situations like that happen and there are those who have had the courage to step forward and say this is what's really going on i'm no longer going to be part of a you know a, a culture of silence that keeps this it you know allows us to continue we can acknowledge that we can say that that was courageous and they did the right thing but when we take it that step further and we put that person in a place where they are platformed and they have become something of an expert, I think there's a very big danger in that 
because that's what they become known for. That's what they become uh, the expert on. And if you are an individual who has not in dealt with that issue, you've not dealt with the abuse and the trauma or the oppression or whatever in a biblical manner. You have not been redeemed of, of a, all that pain. You've not been healed from that through the gospel, through counseling, through the scriptures, to where your answers aren't just, here's how to identify, but also to say, here's how you lead a person in pain back to Christ. If the only thing we do is, is make them an expert in pain, that's what they become. And that's all they talk about. And that's all anybody wants to hear about. And so now you've created the perfect storm for somebody who may not have even been healed of this, this issue. And you've platformed them to be a voice that leads people not to scripture, not to the gospel, but to these other ideologies mm -hmm. that now set the foundation for attacking the scriptures. And I think especially in the areas of abuse, we see this a lot. There are so many people, and, and, and we see it with individuals who call them mm, racial trauma counselors, um, who this is their identity. They, I, they, they attack scripture and they attack the gospel as being insufficient because it doesn't address this. And what are they mm -hmm. talking about? the perpetual cycle of pain and oppression and abuse. And the only way to do that is to, ah, I've got the solution. Here's a worldly ideology that I'm going to import into the church. I think that's a very dangerous place that we in evangelicalism have, have become enamored with these celebrities of sort, and we've platformed them, but we've actually cut the foundation out from under ourselves mm. And we're, we're struggling to figure out how, why are we having this problem? That's why. Yeah. yeah I, victimhood sells. Um, mm -hmm. that, it's as simple as that. Victimhood sells. People love to make themselves a victim by their nature because when they make themselves a victim, they no longer are accountable for their own actions. They don't have to blame themselves or to be able to see their own sin. Um, so yeah, we're, we're li living in a, in a market of, of victimhood and that's, that's what they love. But the scriptures are clear. Um, we are to take uh, responsibility. And, and the other commonality I see with a lot of these attacks, whether it's in this area or critical race theory or LGBTQ, whatever it may be, um, is is too much of an emphasis upon this world, um, that, that they want things to be a certain way in, in this world, um, and they will do every, everything they can to make it that way, uh, rather than putting their hope into the next world. And they often... Mm -hmm accuse us of being Christian escapists, that uh, we're so heavenly minded, we're of no earthly good. But I've flipped that around and say that if you're not heavenly minded, you're not going to be of any earthly good. Amen. And so that's not to say that we ignore the things that are going around on around us, but we do recognize that yeah. we're never promised heaven here and now. Heaven is coming in the future. The new heavens and the new earth, that's, that's promised in the future. That's not mm -hmm. promised in the here and now. The here and now 
is that we still live in a cursed existence. Uh, the the ground under us is cursed. All of mankind around us is cursed. Uh, we're, we're still going to die a physical death. Yeah. And so in the meantime, while we're here, we're called to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all the nations, which means preach the gospel, but also make disciples mm-hmm. by teaching them to observe all that Jesus Christ has commanded. So a lot of this is just a, a also a, a missed focus on what's really more important is it the here and now or is it the hope that we have in the future amen yeah it, yeah i mean you said it well and i think you hit the nail on the head uh, victimhood sells uh, there's a reason you see all of this in america and you don't see it in a lot of the rest of the world because you can't get rich off it you can't get famous off of it in a lot of places um and it, you know if you're a racial trauma expert what you are is a joke Um, There's only one abuse expert, and that's God, and he gave us a book. And so if you want to know how to deal with those things, uh, then go to the book that we were given. Amen. 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 Uh, Brothers, I I appreciate your coming on. Uh, Before I let you go, I want to be respectful of your time. What what do you want to leave listeners with when we talk about the issue of there are doctrines of Scripture that we know are unpopular with the world, yet we must stand on them. And so when when we are facing the attacks on Scripture, even within our own camp, so to speak, what we, what can you leave our listeners with as, a, as a, an encouragement to continue to stand strong? Um, I would say that Jesus Christ, first and foremost, uh, warned us that if the world hates us, remember that it hated him. And by hating him, it's not just that they hate the concept of him, because people will say they love the concept of Jesus, but it's that they hated his words. Um, Jesus Christ, in in the book of Luke, after talking about the cost of discipleship, said, um, anyone who is um, ashamed of me and my words uh, together, me and my words, I will be ashamed of him when I I return. And and so we want to um, remember that, that we've been told that we are living in a world that hates us. But when you look at, for instance, the book of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16, he's up in the upper room. This is really his preparation to the disciples for the Great Commission. This is the great pep talk that, that really undergirds the Great Commission he's going to give later. Um, but at the very end of that pep talk, before he lifts up his high priestly prayer, he tells them that um, that you, from, from me you're going to have peace, but from the world you're going to have tribulation. And Philippians says that, um, that you know, to— um, to don't be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication, make all things known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts. And so we are seeking the peace of God. We're seeking a joy that is supernatural, that can only be given to us by God. And it only comes from just rooting ourselves in the truth of God, because we know the truth of God is ultimately what matters. So remember to stand strong. Our award awaits us. And the way that we are called to glorify God here and now is to be strong in the truth, but to give it um, with reverence and, and love and patience and kindness, no matter how the world responds to us. Yeah, and I think, you know, just to leave reiterating that we're not making light of real abuse situations. I think it's a terrible thing, but I think we need to see uh, and understand where our healing comes from and the only place, and that's the Word of God. And I, I would leave people with, you know, reference to Psalm 19. Uh, Psalm 19, I think, is one of the most concise, um, short writings in the Bible uh, that sort of goes through the sufficiency of Scripture. 
um, you know, starting around, I don't know, verse five, six, seven, uh, you know, it talks about how the law of the Lord is perfect. These are all metonyms or synonyms basically for God's word, right? God's word's perfect. It restores the soul. Um, God's precepts are right. They rejoice the heart. The fear of the Lord endures forever. Um, and then he goes on to talk about their value, more desirable than gold, sweeter than honey. That needs to be our love and response to Scripture. Um, the Scriptures are wholly sufficient. And I, I think, I mean, this is the battle we're fighting. This is the battle of our day. Um, feminism, critical race theory, and intersectionality, uh, all these um, different things, at the, at the heart of them, they're attacking the sufficiency of Scripture. And so if you're a professing believer, you need to... It's got to be more than just vocalizing that you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. You've got to prove it with your life. And so if you've been abused, if you've been wronged, if you've been shunned, if you've been hated, um, you, your source of healing and wholeness, you've got to run to the Scriptures. And, I mean, that that's what I would point people to and just remind, uh, just, just as Eki's really just said. Amen. Excellent, excellent stuff, gentlemen. Guys, as you listen to the heart of these two pastors. I, I I hope you recognize the difference. These are two gentlemen that care about the Word of God. They care about the Gospel. They care about the people under their charge. This is what happens when a heart and a mind are truly transformed by the faithful study of the Word in prayer, in personal application, and in teaching it to others. Compare that to the types of individuals that we are describing in this episode. And believe me, none of this is about dunking on the liberals. Okay, this is about, this is the word of God under assault. Now, the word of God doesn't need our defense. We are simply the tools by which God proclaims his word. But when you recognize that the word of God is under attack and there are those who would rather keep the world in pain and keep it in a constant state of, of anger and animosity and a state of uh, disunity and division for the sake of promoting a certain narrative or a certain sociological solution, compare that with the heart of these two pastors. And I think you're going to see a marked difference. And that is the Word of God. This is what the Word of God does. So when you are faced with this, and, and mind you, as Rich has said on this program, and I like to repeat, you don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to. Social media is going to be filled with tons of people who want nothing more than to make a name for themselves for attacking the Word of God. You don't need to show up to every fight. You don't, it, mute and block are really wonderful tools, okay? <laughs> so please feel free to use them. But when you are in these discussions, recognize what we're talking about here. Don't be fearful because, well, I don't want to make this situation worse by not acknowledging their trauma or abuse. Um, one of the conversations that I got involved in was someone who, in previous conversations, fairly relatively innocuous we got along okay i brought correction on one issue and i was turned into someone who was essentially attacking her just because i brought correction 
And it was correction of a specific nature, not even attacking the entire theological issues that was being brought up. Don't be fearful of that. Don't be fearful because they're, that's what they're, you're going to be made to feel like. Well, you don't care about this or you don't care about that person enduring that. All you care about is this, you know, your precious doctrine. Don't be fearful. It is the word of God that brings salvation. It is the word of God that brings transformation, reconciliation, and change. You're not going to be unarmed in a discussion when you bring it back to the Word of God. Don't let someone make you afraid. And I, I, I genuinely believe that is one of the most powerful tools, and that is a very weak tool, but it's one of the their most powerful, is to scare people into believing they're causing trauma or harm by confronting bad theology, bad worldly thinking, and correcting an attack on scripture. Don't be fearful of that. You have just been taught by two loving brothers. I, I'm not kidding when I say you. they are part of Christian podcast community. I think I've mentioned this before. Go subscribe to it. You know, there are so many podcasts where we're we're just shooting from the hip and we're talking about the topics of the day. I mean, we we could have had an entire hour and a half of the Kyle Rittenhouse thing. We weren't doing that. Okay. We were talking, you know, these guys talk about biblical, deep theological issues, but they do so from the perspective of pastors trying to care for their flocks. And I think you will be greatly benefited by it. Because it's it's very unique in that perspective, and you can hear the care and concern behind what they and, and they don't pull punches. It's not like they're it's always meek and mild, and they never they never say anything. No, they, they, if you're someone who's of the of this other stripe, you're not going to like their podcast. Believe me, <laughs> <laughs> they're very strong in their stance. But you're you're going to see the care that's brought into it. It's why I encourage people to listen to them. It's why I'm grateful to have had them come on. Yeah. And uh, I'm very thankful for their friendship. Um, definitely go subscribe to it. I will put the the Christian Podcast Community link in the show notes. I will also put the their uh, their podcast Twitter handle in the show notes so that you can find it there. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for coming on. I'm so sorry Rich couldn't be here. I know he really wanted to be. I know he. We got to do this again when we can get the four of us together and just round robin the daylights out of something. Um, but I am so grateful to have you guys on. Thank you for coming on. Uh, our, thank you, brother. Pleasure. Thank you so much. <clears throat> All yeah, right. Thanks for having us on and, and for the kind words. And yeah, agreed. Let's do this again. Absolutely. All right, folks, before we let you go, just want to remind you, uh, you can always check out our website, slavetothekeng.com. That's where you're going to find links to this show, links to our uh, our articles as they as more and more as I'm trying to be a better writer, uh, trying to get more stuff out. Uh, you can find our, our Patreon link. You can find the links to our uh, the, the gear that you can buy for the show and how you can get a hold of us and our social media stuff. Go in there and as this world continues to get weirder and weirder, I don't know. Thankfully, we're small enough that Google hasn't kicked us out yet, <laughs> but it's probably coming someday. So, you know, I would recommend and any 
podcast that you do this with, I recommend go and find their RSS feed. You can find it at slavetotheking.com. And you can subscribe it and drop it into whatever podcast app you use. That way you don't miss anything. And subscribe as a follower of the page so as new material comes out, you guys have access to it. But uh, grateful to have you guys on. Thank you so much for spending time with us this week as you do each and every week. If you find anything about these programs beneficial, we always ask, think about sharing it. That's one of the greatest ways you can support this podcast. Think about sharing it with others. Not that we're trying to take over the world with a podcast or anything like that, but we like to be as help to as many people as we can. And if you find it useful, whatever podcast app you use, consider dropping a review for it so that other listeners know, number one, it exists, and number two, that this is something that is beneficial in some way. And hey, if you don't like it, you you can always leave a negative review. I'm not going to care. That's not about the number of stars next to it. And if you have complaints, you can always email us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. Keep it clean, keep it in context, and bring your Bible verses and we'll, we'd love to hear from you. But if you if you ever have questions, comments, concerns, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. And if you have show ideas, please, we beg you, show ideas. It's, it's hard to think of topics on our own. Uh, <laughs> it involves work. Um, so we'd love to hear that from, uh, from you as well. So thank you for being with us. Whatever you do this week, as my brother Rich would say, make sure you share the gospel with at least one person at, uh, every day. And whatever else you do, do it for the glory of God. God bless you guys. Good night. We'll see you next time.